And now, from the Spinnaker Radio Studios, critics have said he has a face for radio and a voice for silent films, your host, Ben Gordon. Alright guys, welcome to the show. It is another edition of Funky Grooves and Fitness with Doc G. With me, as always, is Eric Cirillo. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing well. Good to be back for another week. It was a, It's always a long, a long week away from the studio, but always good to get back here. Exactly, man. I just can't wait. I, I have ideas. I have things I want to talk about, and then I'm like, ah, I'm going to wait till Thursday. Yes, always, always sucks when that happens, but we are here finally, so I'm ready to get rolling. Exactly. Let's get into it. Right away, we're going to get into fitness. We're going to save some sports for later. We're going to save those funky tunes for later. We're going to get into fitness right now. Uh, Posting fitness routines on Facebook makes you a narcissist. Mm. That Mm. is bad news for all you Fitstagrammers and social media fitness posters out there. You're full of yourself. Uh, This in from a Yahoo News story that now, according to a new study from Brunel University in London, people who are constantly documenting their reps, fitness routines, and hours spent at the gym are most likely narcissists. For the study, which was published in Personality and Individual Differences Researchers, question 555 facebook users via online surveys to look at the five big personality traits extroversion neuroticism openness agreeableness and conscientiousness as well as self-esteem narcissism and how these traits influence the topics they chose to share in their status updates The researchers found that narcissists repeatedly posted updates about their diet and exercise routines, which suggested that they use social media to brag about the major effect they put into their physical appearance. The motivation for these frequent updates appears to be their need for attention and validation from the Facebook community. Lead author on the study, Dr. Tara Marshall, said, although our results suggest that narcissist bragging pays off uh, because they receive more likes and comments to their status updates, it could be that their Facebook friends politely offer support while uh, secretly disliking such egotistical displays. So, basically to sum up, um, if you post things on there about your fitness results, if you post things about how you've been going to the gym, you could be full of yourself. Eric, what do you think about that? Well, let me, before I start, let me preface what I'm about to say with this. I think the advent of social media has made all of us a little narcissistic because we all post about ourselves, be it a picture, be it something on Facebook, uh, talking about ourselves, talking about a, a new job we got or how we're accomplishing all our life goals, all this stuff. I think social media plays a big part into everyone's. You uh, are the center of your own universe. Yes. And I think that, um, I think social media definitely has an effect on that in probably any, in a negative way. If you really look at it. Um, now the question is to what extent I, as you know, posted on Tuesday a little four-pick collage of my workout from last week because there was a uh, one of my buddies wanted to have a photographer there and kind of document the workout so we could post about it on his fitness page. And so I was there working out with him, and and so I posted it and just had a, a little a little comment. The the <laughs> comment on my post was a famous line from a Shakespeare poem that is. This above all to thy or yeah, this above all to thine own self be true, which is a a uh, a saying that I live by and I constantly preach to people, be your own person, be yourself, stay true to who you are. Um, so in my defense, I was not posting about what I was working out, claiming to be a workout expert, 
you know, trying to motivate others. It was simply just saying, stay true to who you are, who I am is someone who loves to work out and appreciates the body and being fit. I, so I love it. I love it. When me and Eric were prepping for the show, I, I sent him, I sent him the information for the show and you know, I was like, Hey, look over this. And he sends me his post right after he looks at it. And it's, exactly what we were talking about and i was just like oh and then you know he gave me the same defense that he just gave now and i was like oh i get it you're not really disguising yourself as a fitness expert you're just saying hey check it out i'm working out and i look good all right i did get i did get a you know a good uh a good amount of likes, though. I don't like to judge my worth or anyone's worth off that, but, you know. Hey, we just... already said in the last episode that if you get over 500 likes, you're golden. Oh, see, yeah, I'm no... I'm at, like... If I get over, like, 100 likes, I feel pretty good. Yeah, I'm... that's true. I mean, 500's a bit lofty. Do what? Uh, 500's a bit lofty. It is. It is up there. I need to get more followers in order to uh, do that. But that's beside the point. Um, I am not one to consistently post about myself or pictures of myself. I rarely do that. If you look at my Facebook or Instagram page, it's mostly about my family, my niece and my nephew, really. So um, I think that's probably more of a problem with me. If you want to call me narcissistic in that aspect, then go ahead. But uh, I'm not really one to post about myself. It was just, you know, one of those things that it was a was feeling good that day and felt like posting it. But I will say that also you can make the argument that it's not just narcissism, but it's people that have really low self-esteem and they constantly need that reassurance. So they consistently post about themselves and their workouts and all that just to get reassurance because maybe they're not feeling so good or maybe they're, they, you know, they need it. So I can make that argument as well. Oh yeah. You could, you could do that. You could do that. There are people out there in that area. Uh, my, personal fave though are the people that really do just pose themselves as a fitness expert and it really happens the most on instagram you look at it there's a person 30 posts in a row half of them are just them half naked in front of their mirror in various odd poses and then all of a sudden you get this one in black and white in the distance where you know they're looking off somewhere and the the quote unlike your quote that is is simple is something about you gotta love yourself and you gotta be true to yourself and then you're like yeah obviously you love yourself you just posted 30 pictures of you and that was it i think i've got a good idea that you're pretty effing jacked about who you are you don't have to tell me which brings us to the new segment of the show would be the Instagram inspirational quote of the day. Now, this segment, I scour social media just for you guys to find the most ridiculous quote I can from people who claim that they are fitness experts. And the most amazing part to me about this is that it's always like, there are a good amount of followers for these people. Like, there are tons of people, and, and I obviously know they have motivations, probably aside from learning important fitness things from them. But it just, it still, it, it amazes me. So, this week's quote comes from a double threat fitness expert and tax accountant. Boom. They don't have any actual fitness certifications, or at least they didn't reference any. They don't have any education that they reference as far as fitness. But, bonus, you can get 12% off of self-tanning if you hook up with them. And they have 19,000, over 19,000 followers backing them. So, this is just another, a little bit of a background. This is how into fitness they are. I look back. 57 posts on their page before you actually find anyone doing anything relative to fitness. All 57 posts before that are just of their face and their body. No fitness. But nice. their page says fitness expert. So, the quote, and I read, when people compliment me, 
it's like, wow, are you being for real? Like, bless you and your family. I hope all of your dreams come true. Amen. That's the quote. (laughs) That's the genius that came out of this quote. And that's what people are following this person for fitness. First of all, I got got a couple of points. First of all, um, that quote has nothing to do with fitness. Uh, Second of all, what happens if you don't compliment this person? Because obviously if you compliment them, they bless you. Um, If you don't, do they burn your house down? What happens if you don't compliment this person? Third, bless you. She says, bless you. And I, I gave it away there, the gender. Um, but uh, I, I get a real feudal lord feeling from that statement. Like, kiss my rings, give me seven shillings for your monthly tax, and I will bless the shanty you call a house and not burn it to the ground. Thank you, sir. Like, it's just, it really seems bizarre to me that when people compliment me, it's like, wow, are you being for real? Like, bless you and your family. Like, before I was going to punch you in the face and throw you off the sidewalk, but now that you have complimented me, thank you so much. So that is our Instagram quote of the day. What do you think about that, Eric? Well, I love it. Um, there, there are so many parts about it that I love. And I start with the quote itself. The fact that at the end it says, amen. And I just like to look at that and read it as if someone was praying. Like, God, dear God, when people compliment me, it's like, wow, are you being for real? Like, bless you, amen. You know, it's such a weird way to end it. Like, why? I just wonder what was going through that person's head. Like, amen, let's do this. Let's eat dinner now. Um, I, I almost like to think of it like an Eddie Murphy movie, like back in the day, like Coming to America, the the uh, the guy that was introducing the uh, beauty pageant. Uh, hey, man, done. You know, maybe it's just all in a normal voice before that, and then that just comes in real rough. And hey, man, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty good. I it just I was I was blown away by the beautifulness of this quote, and for that, it is the inspirational quote of the day. And hey, if you look at it with this person, not only can they uh, motivate you, but they can get you a discount on some self-tanning. And while you're at it, maybe they can get you a good tax return when uh, tax season comes along. It's all bonuses, basically. So, I mean, there's no question why they have 19,000 followers. (laughs) You know? So, uh, moving on. Uh, Next thing I want to talk about is a new segment as well. It's called It Takes Dollars, But It Doesn't Make Sense. Now, everybody knows how much I enjoy football, professional level, college level especially, but we do spend a ridiculous amount of money on this game and I don't think a lot of people out there understand the volume of money that's spent on sports in general and included in that football so in this segment I highlight some of those ridiculous amounts of money so first of all I'm going to start in professional football. Now, we all know Roger uh, Goodall, or Goodall, however you want to say his last name. His salary was $44 million when it was last posted. Now, it's no longer posted because they don't have to post it anymore because they're no longer considered a nonprofit organization. Which, in case you didn't know that, the NFL was a nonprofit organization for 73 years. A nonprofit organization that last year made around $10 billion. A nonprofit organization that has 298 employees. That's not with teams in, you know, in each individual team. That's in the main NFL office who make over a hundred thousand dollars. Two hundred and ninety-eight employees who make over a hundred thousand dollars just sitting in the NFL office. Uh that's a ridiculous amount of money for a guy to basically come out and tell Tom Brady he can't play four games. Forty four million dollars. Not a bad gig, except that 
you know, you get death threats as Roger Goodall, and you, you know, get uh, everyone to hate you when you um, say Tom Brady can no longer play. Aside from that, I don't know if his job's worth $44 million. Eric, what do you think? Well, you know, how many athletes really deserve to be getting paid the money that they're getting paid to play a sport? You could make the argument that, and actually I think it's a very fair one, teachers and nurses and you know police officers, firemen should all be making way more than they do because what they provide is a true service to the actual public. Roger Goodell is just, you know, he's not. I mean, everybody's you know, just confused. What does he even do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I've thought about that too before. I'm like, what? I just imagine him sitting around all day, like suspend this person, look into this. Oh, I got to go to this football game and make an appearance. You know, I, I really do wonder what he does. But you have to look at the NFL too. Is it's become such a just a monster? I mean, we were talking about it the other day about if you look at the the documentary League of Denial. If you've ever seen that, the PBS, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they talk about that how going against the NFL is. You know they'll squash you like a bug. It's just such a big corporation that right now they can essentially they've gotten to the point where, you know what, whatever they say goes and whatever they want to do, they're gonna do, and people will pay whatever kind of money they want. Oh, definitely, definitely. So let's get through uh, another NFL one here. How about this? Uh, for every NFL stadium that has been made since 1990, the average home city has paid $262 million in extra taxes to fund that stadium. Okay, we're not paying Roger Goodell's salary, but we are paying an average of $262 million for each stadium. So in here, in the city of Jacksonville... That means we paid an average of 200. We actually paid a little bit more than that for our stadium. And that seems like a pretty good amount when you look at it when it's over a quarter of what we pay for our county's public schools per year uh, for that stadium. How, how, you know, the amazing thing to me is, is they get away with the city paying for a football stadium and the other amazing thing is to me is that like half the city doesn't care about that even though they know about that they're like yeah pretty good i like i like football and like like there's nobody like hey you know, i have to pay a whole bunch of extra taxes and i don't even go to football games you know but then half the people are like yeah that's good i'm i'm pretty happy about that when i drive by it i'm like boom tax dollars at work suck it if you i mean if you think about it look at it in a and i understand where you're coming from and you know naturally yes in an ideal world we would only you know pay for things that we actually care about and want to use and are going to get something out of but with an with an nfl stadium you have to look at the ramifications what does it do for that city look at all the revenue and the money that is brought in as a result of that stadium, that team being there. Now I don't so, have I don't have the the, the data in front of me, uh, but this is coming from the same uh, place that I had before. They actually said that in most cases it makes the especially the surrounding immediate surrounding area much worse off after the stadium comes. Um, just 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 based off of the the initial ten years after the stadium's there. So. I, I do see, you know, and that's 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 their argument, the NFL's argument, you know, is that hey, it, it's bringing in revenue, it's bringing in uh, popularity to your city, and you know, if you took it away, how many people would be upset in the city about that? You would have hundreds of thousands of people being like, hey, we used to have a, a team, and then people got upset. Now we don't have any team. What are we supposed to do? So obviously, you can't really... I mean, it's like you said. It's a ridiculous number, but you you can't fight it. It's already started rolling. There's no way you're going to really, you know, you're going to defeat that. So, let's move on from the NFL. Let's go to the uh, NCAA. Maybe the NCAA's money uh, uh, talks a little bit more than the NFL. 
when you talk about Mark Emmert, the NCAA president, who, by the way, for the last three years, we've, we've obviously heard the arguments about how you can't pay athletes. He's netted a cool $1.7 million. Not a lot compared to Roger Goodall's uh, $44 million, but I think I could live fairly comfortable off of $1.7 million. Along mm-hmm. with that, his association, the NCAA, has made $81 million after paying all their expenses and paying a reported $547 million to the participating Division I schools. So they made almost a billion dollars. They gave uh, 400-some million to the expenses that they had to pay. They gave 547 to the schools that, that were participating. And then they still had a net of $81 million. Now, my guess is, you know, and the complaint, and there's all kinds of things to work out, and I obviously, you know, there there is a lot at work, but you're telling me that none of that $87 million could go to the athletes that play? I mean, you could even take all Division One athletes in every single sport and divvy out $81 million, and there'd be, like, at least a good, you know, 20 spot. 100 spot for each player. Like, 81 million can go a long way. What do you think? Well, this brings up a, a topic that we, you know, I've, I've talked about a lot, and I am a little torn on it because it's, you know, the topic of paying student athletes. And I look at it as, well, if you are one of the major athletes at a school that actually plays a lot and, you know, has a big impact. chances are you're a full ride. You don't have to pay for anything. So that is, if you look at a full ride scholarship in there from in-state tuition alone, that's anywhere from 80,000 plus. So you can look at it that way. I think what I've always argued is that if student athletes are going to get paid, they should get paid based off of uh, how much money, you know, their jersey sell, you know, sells, especially with like football and basketball and all that. I would say that they deserve a profit of that because their name is attached to that. As far as just paying every student athlete, I wouldn't do that because if you look at sports like football, basketball, baseball, and really football in general, because that's usually the biggest topic, half of those people that are on that team don't even play. And so that's not really fair to pay them when they're not even playing. They're not even, they're essentially just on the sideline every game. Or if they're even injured and they're not even dressed. So, um, I look at paying student athletes as kind of a, I don't think it's a good idea, but only way I would do it is if their name is, if in some way their name is making the money, they deserve uh, a share of that. Even still, you know, I, I like I said, when I introduced the topic, I understand that there's all kinds of things that would have to be worked out, who gets paid, how much you get paid, all that kind of thing. But... For a nonprofit organization, again, to get $81 million, you could be doing something with that money if you're a nonprofit organization. Giving it to the schools that you gave the $560 million to, you could just give them a little bit more. But you're keeping $81 million. That's interesting to me. Let's end up with, uh, we got to cut it a little bit short before we go to music, but the one thing I want to talk about, and this has been happening a lot, recent trend in NCAA football is, this is one of my favorite topics in money. So your team's not winning, you think it's your coach's fault, you fire him, and you get a new one. Only thing is, your old coach still has a contract. So... Your school ends up paying two coaches. Need some examples? Here's a couple of examples. Jeff Tedford, fired by Cal, still owed him $1.8 million. Not that much, but you know what? It gave him a good year off where he ended up just taking an extended trip to New Zealand for the next football season. Ralph Fridgen, fired by Maryland, they still owed him $2 million. He used it to pay for some golf and go boating on his uh, boat he titled Fishing with the Fridge. One of my favorite, 
Charlie Weiss, who was fired by two schools. I think we all remember that. 2009, fired by Notre Dame. 2014, fired by Kansas. He collected $24 million from both to be fired. You know, if, if they're willing to pay him $24 million to leave, any school out there that wants to pay me $24 million to stay away from their student-athletes, I can do that. You want to give me $24 million just to, you know, stay away from your team, I'd be more than happy to. And, of course, our most topical one that we have right now, Les Miles, just mm-hmm. this past weekend got fired. Still owe him around $10 million in severance pay. The most amazing thing to me about this one is that Louisiana has already mentioned how much budget cuts they're going to have for for schools, including higher education. But because they thought that they need to find a new coach that can do better than less better than Nick Saban, they fired him. So they've got. Extreme damage from floods, extreme damage from you know, the, the, the massive problems with weather they had in their state, on top of the state budget cuts that they're having as well. And they said, you know what? We're willing to fire this guy, give him his $10 million, find somebody else new that's going to be better than Nick Saban, which whoever they're fine is not going to be better than Nick Saban and is most likely not going to be any better than Les Miles either. Might be better on offense. Might get them, you know, some wins. But in summary, Louisiana broke, but their school's willing to pay $10 million to try to win some more football games, which most likely won't work. So, uh... I, I just I it amazes me the the state that we're in with college football as far as you know you you don't have a winning season gut reaction boom you're fired I want a new coach right I mean it happens all the time you see it at every school right I mean it, it happened uh, and, and they're talking about it with Notre Dame's coach now. They're saying, you know, he hasn't been winning. Is he on the hot seat? Charlie Strong at Texas, he hasn't been winning. Is he on the hot seat? Uh, Gus Malzahn, he hasn't been winning. Is he on the hot seat? You're already paying these coaches millions of dollars, and you want to put them on the hot seat. Ride it out for a couple years at least. Eric, what do you think? I agree completely. Uh, I didn't think Les Miles deserved to be fired, certainly. Um maybe put on a watch and kind of just let them know, hey, man, you better, you know, make some changes fast and start winning or you might be in a little bit of trouble. But I wouldn't have just go ahead and canned them after starting two and two. I mean, look at what they've done the past few years. But, um, yeah, I think it's just, it's you know, these coaches are getting paid so much money that it's ridiculous just to fire them. I always think it's ridiculous to fire anyone if they're not living up to expectations right away. It's going to take time. Have the Cleveland Browns not taught us anything? You know, look at how many times they're firing people and bringing in new people. That's just a just a reassurance that, hey, maybe we shouldn't do that. If we maybe. can learn anything from the Cleveland Browns, it's that we'll be losers and we'll always be losers. That's what we take from the Cleveland Browns. But, I mean, you know, in all seriousness, I do um, – it, it takes time whenever you bring someone new in. So if you're going to pay these coaches the money, let them make a case for themselves and let them show you what they can do. It's not going to be done in a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months. Chances are, like you said, it's going to take a couple years. And if you get better and better as the years go on and people see you know real improvement, then more power to you. If you're not making any progress and you're just standing still or even taking a couple steps backwards – Going a new direction. Yeah, you better ride it out. But with that being said, that concludes our segment. It takes dollars, but it doesn't make sense. So let's move on to our next topic, which is college football. Before we get into college football, let's get a rundown of this past week's games. Eric, can you give us that rundown? I gotcha. So here is this past week's top 25 action. 
Last Thursday, thir- uh, excuse me, Clemson topped Georgia Tech 26-7. On Friday, Utah nudged out USC with a win, uh, 35 31-27, excuse me, to go to 4-0 for the season. Alabama dominated Kent State, shocker, 48-0 to stay perfect. Louisville beat Marshall 59-28. In their first Big Ten action, Michigan bullied Penn State 49-10. Houston went on to demolish Texas State 64-3. Stanford had a strong fourth quarter, beating UCLA 22-13 to remain unbeaten on the season. Wisconsin, to the surprise of many experts, dispatched the then-eighth-ranked Michigan State 30-6. More reason why they shouldn't be in the top 25. Washington continued its good play with a 35-28 win over Arizona. Texas A&M showed why they might be the team to rival Alabama this year with a 45-24 victory over Arkansas. Ole Miss, my wild card, put other SEC teams on notice with a demolishing of Georgia, 45-14. Ooh, that's just horrible. Florida State came out on top in a shootout against South Florida, 55-35. How you let USF score that much? I don't know. Tennessee ended their 11-year streak of losses against Florida by beating the Gators 38-28. I don't think Florida should be ranked where they are. Baylor continued to show why they may be the strongest team in the Big 12 by beating Oklahoma State 35-24. Nebraska worked their way by fellow Big Ten school Northwestern in a 24-13 victory. And finally, in the game that ultimately ended with Les Miles getting fired, Auburn squeaked by LSU 18-13 in the closing seconds of a thriller, which looked like LSU was about to pull it off. But then, oh no... Time had run out before they could get the ball off. All right, fantastic. Eric, what stuck out to you? I think I have an inkling of what you're going to go to, but what game stuck out to you on the top 25 there? Well, I got I got to go with my wild card. Ole Miss just just ravishing Georgia, 45-14. to 14. No. I mean, really just stuck it to them. Georgia, which has been thought to be this powerhouse over the past few years in the SEC, this year isn't looking that good. Granted, they're 3-1, and one, but still, you got to wonder what's going on with Georgia, and you also have to wonder what's going on with Ole Miss. Could they be that wild card? I'm putting my money on it. Now, I was I was on the road because I'm an important person that goes mm-hmm. on the road sometimes. And totally. I uh, I um, because I didn't have a constant stream available of ninety five point five uh, Spinnaker Radio. I had to go to an alternate of ESPN Radio and listen to uh, old, the old Miss game as I was traveling on the road, and it got ugly real quick. I don't know if maybe the uh, if it was on radio, it made it sound worse. But it just, I mean, you know, it was like, oh, a touchdown. Five seconds later. Oh, touchdown. Five <laughs> seconds later. Oh, touchdown. I was like, is it 21 to zero already? And like, I mean, it just, it, it, yeah, it got out of hand real quick. And it's like I was telling you during the break, I don't know if I buy Ole Miss being that good as I by Georgia having a lot of things to settle, a lot of things to talk about. Because Georgia, in my opinion, didn't make the smartest decision over the offseason of saying, or well, actually during the season of saying, let's get rid of Mark Rick, let's bring in Kirby Smart, who obviously is all the brains behind Nick Saban, and he is going to win us all of these titles because I think their idea right was that they saw Nick Saban like everybody does in the SEC and they knew that Kirby Smart had gone to uh, gone to Georgia and they were like okay one and one makes two he's uh, a Nick Saban disciple and he went here he's an it's, it's all his alma mater so boom those two things together, he's gonna he's gonna be great for us. And I just I don't one I don't I know he wasn't the magic behind Nick Saban, uh, because how many coordinators has he had in the past 15 years of him co- coaching? A ton, and he still produced the the same good outcomes himself. It's his system that's fantastic. It's not the coordinators. So. 
Uh, George has got a lot of work to do. Um, Ole Miss, they're 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 good anyways. You know, I'd be more worried about oh, Ole Miss. Uh, I'd be worried about the NCAA uh, sanctions than I would be uh, whether or not they can win out the uh, season this year. What other games besides the Ole Miss game you uh, did really stick out to you this this past weekend? Um, you know, uh, looking at it, really not much. I would say probably the the next closest would be um, really just I guess the Auburn LSU game because of just how it ended and looking like LSU was going to win it. And if they win, Les Miles doesn't get fired, and then they don't. And that you know, just looking at how a couple of seconds can really just flip the script on something. I look at LSU and Auburn, and that was really, you know, it's if they if they get that ball off on time and they score the touchdown at the end of the game as time expires, Les Miles is still the coach. You know, and and you know, I think they were just delaying the inevitable though. Because because you know, they wanted to fire him last year, they had that button ready to go, and that was the thing for what the last three, the three weeks of of the season was wins less miles getting fired, and then they didn't get enough backing for it. It went off. They resettled his contract. He came back, and they were just waiting to press it again, waiting to press that fire button. And I think you know if they would have won, if LSU would have pulled this out. It would have, you know, it would have came when they played Alabama and lose, or when they, you know, lose whatever game they're gonna lose in the in the coming weeks. So it was super exciting, though, and it was super. <laughs> I was watching that game, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what a catch! What? Oh, and oh, okay, and they're taking it back. I mean, that was." That was ballsy by the refs too, because you don't normally see that. Even even when it's wrong, it's like everybody remembers the big, the big debacle with the Miami Duke game last year with the return that they mm-hmm. pointed out un <laughs> for the next four weeks on ESPN about how there were thirty-seven things wrong that they didn't call. And that's what normally happens at the end of the game. The ref's like, no, I don't want to make everybody in this place go crazy. I'm just going to go ahead and call the game now. You know. Uh, so I was surprised to see that they actually called that back. Um, another game, two games, two games in the, the, the uh, Southeast uh, Conference that, that really surprised me. Uh, Texas A&M uh, over Arkansas. Because I watched the Arkansas-TCU game. Uh, they were looking pretty sharp in the games that were coming up to this. Uh, and Texas A&M, they, they manhandled them, man. In the, in the second half, they came out and they said, you know, I don't care if you have 6'10 guys on your offensive line that weigh like 370 pounds. You're not going anywhere. And they had several times in that game defensive stands right on the goal line that they just shut them down. It was impressive, and I think you know, like you said in in the uh, in the recap, that they're the they're they're the people looking towards Alabama. They're the team that says, "I think we've got something for Alabama." Um, and then the second one, Tennessee finally got that monkey off their back. Not a very, I you know, I mean. I think Florida, fan, if Florida fans weren't that impressed anyways. They're like, yeah, 11 years, who cares? You know, like, yeah, it was, yeah, I guess it was time to lose anyways. But, like, Butch Jones just, he doesn't he doesn't seem like a great coach to me. He just, I, I mean, he seems like a nice guy and his flat top's real spiffy, but, like, what... What does he do? Like, he just seems like he's always like that insurance salesman that's worried that he didn't get enough sales this month and he's going to get fired. And I think, like, I, I, I even texted our, our, our bros of Terrence in the middle of the game because I know Terrence was probably all over this writing a new blog or, you know, magazine article or whatever. Um, and I was like, dude, Butch Jones is about to get fired. Go ahead and fire him because I was it was in the first half when they were down by three touchdowns and I was like go ahead and 
chalk that up as a, a firing of Butch Jones. And then they came back and they won, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, Tennessee's it's coming to fruition. They're going to be that team that we thought they were going to be. And I was like, I, I still don't they, – they got a lot, a lot to go. I mean, they got to play Alabama. They got to play other East teams that, I mean, you know, they, they could barely get over Ohio, and they could barely get over Appalachian State. So I mean, you know, what I I just I don't I don't think they're going to have the season that a lot of their fans think they're going to have and I don't think Butch Jones is going to be around Tennessee for much longer. Well, I guess you know, we'll find out this weekend when they travel to Georgia. You know, uh, Georgia's Georgia's ranked 25 right now. If I, Tennessee is riding this this wave of, you know, undefeatedness and they're feeling pretty good about themselves right now and they go into Georgia with you know right now it's looking like no Nick Chubb and even I think the backup running backs hurt too Tennessee could come out winning they could be sitting pretty at five and zero. well I was, I was about to say there's there's a lot to be said for that that confidence ride you know there's a lot to be said once you win a couple of games and it gets in the players heads like now we can win now, you know, I mean, when they came off of that loss, or uh, sorry, it sticks in your head like a loss, but that overtime win against Appalachian State, nobody's riding high off of that. Nobody's coming off of an App State overtime win at home and being like, mm-hmm, that's <laughs> right. We dominate the Southeast Conference. Boom. You know, so I think now that they actually got – a team, but then again, Florida—that's the thing—is Florida hasn't really played anybody that significant up until that point. There's still a bunch of question marks. So I think again, you get Georgia versus Tennessee. It's going to have some more. You're going to sort it out a little bit more. You're going to say, okay, were there problems at Georgia like Ben was thinking, or were there, you know, was he wrong about Tennessee? Uh, so yeah, that that would definitely be one of the the interesting games of this upcoming week. Uh, what else you got as far as an interesting game for this uh, upcoming weekend? Well, the biggest one I'm looking at is, um, and I'm a Michigan fan, but I'm looking at Michigan and Wisconsin, Michigan, 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 yes, Michigan, uh, Michigan. Thus far, four zero. Both teams are undefeated. But Michigan hasn't played anyone. Not and now anybody. Eight Wisconsin, and I'm looking at this as all right. Let's see how good you are. You've blown every team out of the water, as you should have. But now we're gonna see. You know, can you actually compete against other ranked schools? Because this will be their first test. So I think that'll be a good game, and I'm really excited to see uh, how they do. That's one of my big ones. The other one I'm looking at, Louisville at Clemson. I think a lot of people will be at that oh, game. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, well, the Wisconsin-Michigan game. So, I mean, you know, you've got Wisconsin. They just came off of Michigan State. But, again, both of those teams were sort of question marks when they came in. Wisconsin now, I would have to say, regardless of where it ends up at the end of the year, you still have to say they're pretty battle-tested as far as beating LSU uh, at a not a really neutral field, but not their home field in the uh, in Lambeau. And then beating uh, beating Michigan State at Michigan State. I mean, those those are two, regardless of where those two teams end up, I, I still say that's two impressive wins. Like you said, Michigan, it's the Jim Harbaugh show. That's all. That's the only reason they're ranked so high right now. I mean, they've played a bunch of teams, Hawaii and UCF and, okay, Penn State's a Big Ten school, but that's about it. They're not supposed to be doing anything this year. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. It's time to put up or shut up for Michigan. Um, for Clemson, uh, Clemson, Louisville, I really think, you know, it's, 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 let's see if Clemson's still the Clemson of last year's playoffs or not. Because, I mean, at one point, they were really smacking down Georgia Tech on Thursday night. I mean, it was, uh, it was sad. <laughs> for Georgia Tech. They didn't have any yards of running until like well into the second quarter and you're like that's all they do is run and they don't have any running 
This is going to be a problem. There's no rushing yards. And then, later in the game, it looked like they weren't even going to score, which they hadn't been shut out in their home stadium since, like, 1960-something. And I was like, oh, they can't break that streak. They'll just be sad. And luckily, they scored. But still, you know, that was the first game that Clemson actually looked like Clemson. I mean, you can argue that the SC State game, they also looked like Clemson, but that's SC State. You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure you could get Clemson's lacrosse team to play them and they had come out, you know, sort of even. So <laughs> it's not like that one's really a, a, a tough one. So Louisville, you know, everybody was like, oh, watch out, they're playing Marshall. That, that could be, and they stomp Marshall. You know, there was no lag from them dominating Florida State where they, you know, had to wake up in the Marshall game. They came out and they scored like 40 points to start the game off with. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be that's gonna be a real interesting game. What do you think about for your Gamecocks? Any chance against Texas A&M? Oh, man, don't even get me started. Uh, the, I, didn't, I didn't get to see the end of the LSU-Auburn game because I was just punishing myself watching the – uh, Gamecocks go against Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, which was just a horrible game. But you know, uh, it starts the uh, this weekend. They're you know they're home against Texas A and M, and that starts a five week home game stretch, which would be good for us. Uh, but you know, Brandon McElwain, he's he's a freshman. He's only eighteen. He's a young guy, and so far, most of his scoring is coming off his legs, and I don't like that. I you know I I tend to not really like a mobile quarterback. As much as he is, I like a more of a pocket passer, someone that can actually throw the ball downfield and move it and get big chunks of yards and not consistently rely on their legs. So yeah. if if USC's uh, O-line can hold up and keep Brandon, Brandon McElwain up and if he can hit receivers, then, you know, maybe they can beat Texas A&M. But um, right now it's it's not looking too good. That would be that would be a shocker. That would that would blow the. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be as big as back in the day when uh, when USC beat Alabama, but it would still be. That would be a huge boost in mm-hmm. uh, in USC season. It would help out a lot. I know Muschamp's uh, job would be a little bit more secure because I think yeah. they're already like. Mm, even though he came in with a bad situation, I will give him that. He came in with a real. You know, it wasn't like he came into a. Uh, you know, a, a Ferrari. He wasn't given a, the keys to a Ferrari. It was more like a used Acura. And he was like, oh, I guess this is a sports car, right? Okay, we'll try it out. We'll see how this works. Also, a good showdown for you Pac-12 fans, because I know there's tons of them listening right now. All you Pac-12 fans out there, uh, tomorrow night on Friday night, Stanford versus Washington. I think that's pretty good. Stands alone. It's the only game on Friday night. Stanford, perennial powerhouse that they are. And now Washington. You know, Washington hasn't been good since, like, the early 2000s. People basically forgot about them. Now all of a sudden they're back. And now it's time to put up or shut up for them. Uh, You know, uh, they haven't really played those tough teams. And now they're coming up against Stanford, sort of the, you know, the the road to get to the Pac-12 championship. So I think that's going to be a real interesting game. a lot of a lot of great college football as usual, but we are going to move on in our show to a new segment. So, Greg Hardy, former star defensive end for the Carolina Panthers and most recently the Dallas Cowboys, has found himself in trouble once again. And if listeners don't remember, he had a fairly large scandal involving some domestic assault hanging over his head for around two or so years, which was eventually expunged. Then over uh, this past summer, uh, after he was signed to the Cowboys, he was then released from the Cowboys this summer uh, with the coach, uh, Jason Garrett, basically saying, mm, we're not too interested in you coming back. Uh, so he wasn't re-signed for the 2016 season. And then there was a bunch of question whether or not he would find another team. Well, he pretty much answered with a resounding no that he won't find another team because on Sunday night he was arrested for cocaine possession. 
Not only did Greg Hardy get arrested, but he did it in the most cliche way. I don't know if you listeners out there have ever watched Cops. I watch Cops a lot because, well, it's an awesome show. Um, But Greg Hardy, he had the most lame, worn-out excuse that every sad, wayward, vagabond soul that you see on Cops use. He used that same excuse. On the police report, he said... He had been passing around his wallet around the party the night before because he was paying for everybody, and that must have been when a baggie of cocaine was put in his wallet. He blamed it on a friend, a magical friend the night before, that put cocaine, for some unexplained reason, in his wallet. Come on. Who's going to buy that? No cops ever going to buy that. Cops 101. Throwing it out of your car even makes more sense than that. That has worked. I have seen that work on cops. They haven't been able to find it, and they've had to let the guy go. But telling them it's somebody else's, that is the worst excuse. Cops never buy that excuse. Now, for that... I think it's time for me and Eric to give you another point of view in a segment we call A Different Perspective. Um, another perspective. Eric and I will show you how in general situations like this, how they normally play out. How when a normal situation when somebody's pulled over like this how it plays out and how in the case of greg hardy it turned out and hopefully after we finish this little segment we can all take away something from this scene Good evening, sir. Do you know why I pulled you over tonight? What? Hey, man, I guess it's because I look pretty good and you couldn't help but be attracted to my 1987 Cutlass Sierra. I'm just kidding, man. I have no idea at all. It's just a lovely night hanging out. I pulled you over because you failed to fully stop at that stop sign. Was there a reason this happened? Hmm, reason? Nah, can't say there's a reason, bud. Guess you just caught me betwixt radio stations and I forgot to bring the boat to a stop. Sir, can I have your license and registration, please? Ah, definitely, man, sure. Let me grab it out of the glove compartment. Ah, there you go. Thank you, I'll I'll be right back. All right. Yeah, just hang out here while he's checking me out. I ran your license, and I'm going to let you go on a warning regarding the stop. But I'm a little concerned about your car. If I were to search your vehicle right now, sir, I wouldn't find anything illegal in your car, would I? (laughs) What? In this car? No, no, sir. This car here, it it is is ship shape. In fact, it's cleaner than Danny Tanner's bathroom. That's the dad from Full House. He's a real clean guy. Yeah. I'm aware of who Danny Tanner is. Good, good. Great show. A lot of good family values and life lessons to be learned from Full House. Sir, can I search your car? What? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you want, if that's what you want, yeah, go go for it, man. Okay, sir, I, uh, I found a bag of cocaine in your cup holder. OMG! Is that what that is? I had no idea. You had no idea that it was in your car? Well, see, I went out with some friends last night. 
We were celebrating my friend Terry. He just see he just won a big settlement. His Yorkshire Terrier got hit by a moped, and uh, we were we were celebrating because of that. I'm guessing one of them guys they had to put it in my car. So I mean, I guess that's why it's here. So you're telling me that a friend of yours left what looks to be over two hundred dollars of cocaine in your car without telling you about it. Tell me, why would they do that? Got me, brother, man. I don't know. I ain't got no idea. Tell me, sir, what's your friend's name? Um, Jesse. Jesse. Jesse what? Um, Jesse Spano. Sir, that's the fictional uncle on Full House. What? Nuh-uh, brother. That's my boy from way back, man. So, let me get this straight. Jesse Spano left $200 of cocaine in your car, unbeknownst to you. Yes, sir. I don't... I mean... I don't know. Maybe he's playing a joke or something. I don't. It's crazy, right? Like, I mean, so I guess what you want me? You want me to call him up so we can get him down here, straight, straighten this out, or something like that? No, sir. I'm. Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this is your cocaine. What? No, sir, man. I always pass on the booger sugar. That is not for me, man. All right, sir, step out of your car, please. All right, I guess, man. Are we going to, so we're going to walk to Jesse's house or maybe like Segway or, or moped it or something like that? No, sir, not tonight. You're going to jail. Maybe uh, maybe Uncle Jesse can bail you out. <sighs> well, jeez. I guess I should hope so for him getting me into this predicament. Um... Another perspective. And that is how another perspective is done, guys. Remember, always watch your cops. Do your homework and don't get caught in a bad situation. And don't blame it on your friend. Rule 101 of cops, guys. Uh, real quick before we have to go, uh, Eric wanted to mention, noticed our friend Tim Tebow, which we were talking about in the outro last week, he steps up to plate first first uh, at-bat of the game and hits a home run. What do you think about that? Oh, gosh, what do I think about Tim Tebow hitting a home run on his first at-bat? Um, can you say biblical? Yeah, he's going to walk on water after that. In fact, he made a moat to first base, and he walked on that moat uh, and didn't sink. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it's insane. I, I think next uh, week we're going to be talking about how people are, uh, his blood is turned into wine and how his skin is now the host. I'm afraid and if he, we keep making these religious uh, religious remarks, we're going to get struck by lightning here in the studio. Yeah, probably. Sorry. Uh, no, I think it's pretty, it's it's insane. It makes me rethink what I said last week on our one word descriptions when I said him making this, you know, the Mets and I said impossible. I, I will mention real quick that, you know, in his contract with the Mets, which was a minor league contract, typically no minor league uh, players are supposed to be able to sell memorabilia with their names on it. Uh, the Mets made a special exception for Tim Tebow, and now his is the third highest selling jersey already in all of Major League Baseball. So, good thing to know that the Mets are making a little, a little bit of cash off of their, uh, their proposition, which I'm guessing might have been a little bit of the motive for that. Oh yeah, is that not always the motive? It makes the world go round. But I mean, why Tim Tebow's playing baseball? Exactly. Well, hey, it is for the love, strictly for the love. Don't you forget it. Right. That will do it for us here at Funky Grooves and Fitness with Doc G. I am Doc G, and... 
I'm Eric Cirillo. And you know what? We will see you next Thursday, guys.